Welcome to this Sunday's message from the King's Church Mid-Sussex. We're returning to the Sermon on the Mount. You may remember that we were working through the Sermon on the Mount before all the fun of Christmas. And last week, this great visionary Sunday that we had with Jim last week. Now we're coming back to the Sermon on the Mount. So we're in Matthew and chapter 5. And the section that we're looking at is in verse 38 uh, to 48. Okay, so we'll read through Matthew 5, 38. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, don't resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt... Let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you. Don't turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil And the good. He sends his rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your incredible word. We thank you for the amazing calling you've put on our lives. We thank you for the joy of singing your praise together. Now, Father, we turn to your word and we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Rest upon us. May what we do here now be a supernatural event, the word of the living God coming in the power of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. May we sense your presence, hear your voice. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, the Sermon on the Mount, a very famous Christian standard of values, Everybody knows about the Sermon on the Mount. You know, we, we, live, we live in a time of terrible moral breakdown where people are abandoning rules, regulations, fighting for their rights. Uh, my right to do what I want to do if I'm not offending anybody else. My, my right to have sex with whoever I want to have sex with. My right to kill the baby in my body. It's my body. I'll do what I like. It's my body. Uh, Who's going to tell me? That's the kind of life we live. That's the kind of culture that's crumbling all around us. And the best that's offered is, well, follow your heart. Just be true to yourself. That's what Disney tells our kids. That's the standard. Just do what's in your heart. I guess that's what Vladimir Putin is doing at the moment. He's doing what's in his heart. He's following what's true to him. Is that a standard? Is that okay? Is that all right? Just do what's in your heart. And yet that's, that's really what's out there today, that kind of 
Be just true to yourself. That's what we ask. Well, I guess Putin is being true to himself, as Hitler was, and all sorts of people have been true to themselves and followed their hearts. Is there nothing better? Is there no kind of objective value? Is there nothing that's going to tell us what's right and what's wrong? We just do what, I don't know, fight for myself. That's the culture. That's what we live with. That's what the movies show us. That's what our programs tell us. That's what is now current. It's against that background we come to the Sermon on the Mount. How, how do we understand the Sermon on the Mount? How are we to tune into that? How relevant is that in our modern world? Are we to go and preach that? Is that uh, the way we're to go? The Sermon on the Mount is an extraordinary thing. And it's possible to kind of get it wrong. So I want to look at this this morning, this passage under kind of four headings. And the first heading is this. The ineffectiveness of a new set of laws. All right? The ineffectiveness of the new set of laws. Some people would say, right, Moses went up the mountain and gave the Ten Commandments. Okay, so that's now history. Jesus went up a mountain and, and gave the Sermon on the Mount. It's a kind of better set of rules. It's kind of more spiritual. It's a better set. Let's go with this better set. But that is not the way we're meant to understand it, actually. The Bible says this. The law was good. In fact, it says it was perfect. God, the law of Moses was good. We've just heard one reference. It says... It's a tooth for a tooth, an eye for an eye. It's like, you blinded me, I'm going to kill you. You blinded me, I'm going to finish you off. No, 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 no. An eye for an eye. A tooth for a tooth. It was pretty good Lord. You shall not kill. You shall not steal. You shall not lie. I mean, the law, the law was good. There was nothing wrong with the law, actually. Actually, there was nothing wrong with the law. It was perfect. The sad thing about it is, and it says in the book of Hebrews, that kind of Jewish reflection, Christian Jewish reflection of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, it says this, the law made nothing holy. It didn't work. The law was good. It was very good. It was perfect. But it didn't work. It didn't work. The Jewish nation became terrible sinners. They had to get thrown out of the land. They went through many punishments. And the law did not do what they had hoped it would do. It just didn't do it. There's nothing wrong with the law. It doesn't really need improving. It's a good law. In fact, it says this in the New Testament, if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would have been based on law. If a law had been given that could impart life, if you could just say, don't steal, and that's it, don't bear false witness. Don't commit adultery. These ten laws, if they could impart life, if, if this kind of list of rules had a certain dynamic in it that could change you, then hey, we would be living in a different kind of world. If everybody obeyed the Ten Commandments, what a wonderful place this would be. If no one stole and no one lied and no one cheated, if we obeyed it, but it doesn't have power to change you. That's what the Bible says about itself. It doesn't have the ability to do it. It can't change you. And it isn't that, oh, those laws are useless, now let's replace them with the Jesus laws. That's not it, because laws don't change people. Paul even argues in the New Testament, there's something about law that provokes you. It's like you're walking in the park, and you think, oh, what a pretty park. And it says, keep off the grass. And you think, whose grass is it? It's like, <laughs> or it's like you say to the kids, 
uh, I've just cooked the cakes, uh, I'm just going to the shop, don't touch the cakes. You know, it's like, what cakes? It's, uh, so, so the Bible itself says that law kind of provokes you, it stirs you, and there's something in the human heart that won't respond to law. So the Ten Commandments made nothing holy, and Jesus is not coming along with a new set. This isn't a law for us to go out into our crumbling society with the mess that we're getting ourselves into and say, listen to the, listen to the Sermon on the Mount. That'll change you. It won't. It won't. So why is it in the Bible? Well, it says quite plainly at the beginning of the sermon, at the beginning of chapter 5, Jesus withdrew from the crowd. It's a seeing the crowd. He withdrew from them with his disciples. This is teaching for followers of Jesus. It's not teaching for anybody. It won't work. It won't work. It's teaching for followers of Jesus. And of course, that's a big question we might ask here before I finish, whether you are a follower of Jesus. Because you're ever so welcome here if you're not yet following him. But this is for followers of Jesus. The whole thing starts with Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. We went through those beatitudes, very famous beatitudes. Blessed are those that mourn. They're aware of their failure. They're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. This is for people who drew near to Jesus, these guys who stuck close to Jesus for three years, who watched his life, listened to his teaching, wanted to be around him. It's for those people. It starts like that. It's not for everybody. It actually says, blessed are you when men insult you and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. It's for those kind of people. The people who follow Jesus and as a result of the values that they live, they get insulted. This isn't for everybody. Not everybody's insulted. Not everybody's a follower of Jesus. It's for people who are persecuted because they follow Jesus because they say, no, Jesus said this, but we say that. No, but we say just, oh, you're a weird guy. You're going to get isolated at the office. You're going to be mocked at school. <laughs> you say that, we don't say that. It's interesting, recently there's been this uh, poll that says less than 50% of, Christ- of people in this country would now regard themselves as Christians. Well, we know that that's a kind of confused thing anyway, but it's at least now public. It's now public that people are not Christians. You see, many of us think, well, God's the kind of father of the whole. Everybody's a, a child of God, no, that's not what the Bible says. So a new law to impose on our crumbling society isn't going to work. We follow a kind of radical new Messiah. We need to understand what he's like. We've just come through Christmas with all the tinsel and the baby and all that stuff. But we need to know what that Messiah was really like. There came a day when these disciples following Jesus, and we need to understand this, it must have been a growing understanding. They first of all had this teacher, profound teacher, extraordinary healer, and they began to follow him, and, and it's like he let out truth little by little. It's like a, toy, a game with children, leave that little clue and that little clue, and, and then one day he turned to them and said, who do you say that I am? Who do people say I am? They said, well, those people say you're Jeremiah, come to life again. Some say, you're John the Baptist, come to life. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter says, you're the Christ. The Christ, what does that mean? Well, the Old Testament made this promise of a massive figure, a Messiah. 
And these Old Testament passages which we use at Christmas, unto us a child is born. As for us, a son is given. That's Old Testament. That's talking in advance about this Savior who's going to come. The Old Testament is full of promises of this amazing person, this son of David. That's the Messiah. It means anointed. That's what the word means. It means the Spirit's on him. He's anointed. And when Jesus was baptized, that's the first thing he said afterwards. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me. Hey, he, he, they said, you're the anointed one. You're the one that was promised. And this is interesting. The very first thing he said after that was, you're right, but don't tell anybody. What, what? No, don't tell anybody. That's strange, eh? And sometimes after his most dramatic miracles, he said, don't tell anybody. Why? Well, because the expectation of what a Messiah would do and be like was so distorted. They thought the Messiah would be like David. See, son of David. He's in, he'll sit on David's throne. That's what it says in the Old Testament. It promises there's going to come a great figure. The Jews had this hope on their horizon. There's going to come a deliverer. He's a remarkable anointed. There's, there's something absolutely amazing about him. He's like David, but more so. He's going to sit on David's throne. Of the increase of his government, there'll be no end. We've quoted those verses at Christmas. But their expectation was like David got rid of Goliath. And David destroyed the Philistines and raised up a great army. Oh, that's what they're longing for. See, they're living under the Roman yoke. Rome was a powerful empire. And Rome had swept into Israel. Rome had dominated them. Rome demanded their taxes. Rome was ruining their lives, just like the, Pharaoh, the Philistines were ruining the life when David came on the scene. Then David came on the scene, took out Goliath, raised up an army, and they became a mighty, mighty empire under David. That's what they're looking for. That's where the hope lies. But Jesus came on the scene and wasn't like that. Now, all those promises there, but they're kind of lying dormant, which we'll come back to later. At first, he's coming, and it's amazing. Even in the book of Revelation, it says, they looked, there's a lion of Judah. He's prevailed. He's a lion. He's a roaring lion. Jesus, he's the lion. He's a roaring lion of power. And I looked, John says, and I saw a little lamb as though I had been slain. This strange enigma that he's all-powerful, but... He says things like this. If someone hits you on the face, turn the other cheek. What? That's not what David said to Goliath. Turn the other cheek. Take him out. Take him out. He's insulting us. He's marching up and down saying, who can fight against me? You don't turn the other cheek. You get rid of him. Jesus, Jesus said, yeah, I am the Messiah, but don't talk about it yet because if you say I'm the Christ, the expectation is all wrong. You'll find that one time after he fed thousands, it says they tried to take him and make him king. They tried to impose their agenda upon them, him. Because, wow, no one can do signs like this unless God's with him. Even Bartimaeus shouted out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus healed him. He said, he said is this the son of David? Is this the Messiah? What's going on? And he says, look, turn the other cheek. You see, the Roman soldiers would do that kind of thing. 
And some of these phrases, we'll come back to later, are not quite so relevant. I don't know, if I ask for a show of hands here, how many here have ever had your cheeks slapped? I think there wouldn't be many. Not many have been asked, would you carry this for a mile? It doesn't happen often, does it? But it did in that time. Roman soldiers could do that any time. They could just say, hey, carry this. It happened at the cross, you remember? Jesus, absolutely crushed by the weight of the cross, and he's bleeding back, he'd been whipped and beaten, and they got someone to carry it for him. So Simon of Cyrene carried the cross, you remember that? Roman soldiers could do that any time. Carry this, do that, do that. And Jesus said these extraordinary things. If they hit you, let them hit you again. If they said, carry this for a mile, say, I'll carry it too. But it's not terribly relevant to people in Burgess Hill in 2023. But there are things that are relevant about the alternative of my rights that is our culture and something very, very different. Yes, of course I will. No, okay. You want to go ahead of me? Go ahead of me. You want to write slag on my Twitter feed or my Facebook? God bless you. See, it comes in a different way in our world. And some of the details of this were relevant to their generation. But there are other things more relevant to our generation about communicating the same truth. And Jesus is modeling something else. He's a radical new Messiah. And he says things like this. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Learn of me. I am meek and lowly of heart. And you will find rest for your soul. I mean, that isn't the Messiah they expected. They were looking for joy because we got rid of the Romans. He's promising peace and rest for troubled people. Because from him, if you, he said, I, learn of me. I am meek and lowly of heart. That's what he is at heart. He's meek and lowly. Paul says elsewhere, associate with the lowly. I don't know if I want to associate with the lowly. What benefit is there associating with the lowly? Jesus said, I'm lowly. It's like you can, we heard at the beginning of our meeting, he's got no favorites. He's also accessible to everybody. It's easy to break in on Jesus. He's meek and lowly. You don't feel, I don't know if I could even approach him. He's high and lifted up. No, he's come down and he's meek and lowly. When he was born, he's in a stable. What's your background? Oh, stable life. He's meek and lowly. It's a Messiah they didn't understand, they didn't expect. And he's giving out this kind of teaching. Go the extra mile. Turn the other cheek. This is the teaching he's giving to his disciples, and he modeled it. He modeled what he said. So when it comes to the cross, they do hit him. They put a crown of thorns on his head and bash it in. And if you've seen the thorns, you see pictures. It's not just like our blackberry bushes or roses. These thorns are massive. And you know how tender your forehead is. They, put, they, said they, they beat him on the head. They put a cloak over his head and they said, hey, prophesy, who hit you? And he, not, he didn't answer a word. He didn't, it was like a lamb before his shearers is dumb. He didn't open his mouth. He, he modeled turning the other cheek. 
That was who he was. That's who he was like. And the Old Testament, it promised this. He will be like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep silent before his shearers. He didn't open his mouth. He interceded for the transgressors. That's what Jesus taught. Pray for your enemies on the cross. That's what he did. He said, Father, forgive them. What? They just smashed nails into him. They just smashed nails into him. They just beaten him. They're just mocking him, spitting him. Father, forgive them. What? That's amazing. That's ridiculous. But you see, beloved, he's not going out to the world saying, do this because the world can't do it. He is the Messiah. He's God in the flesh. He is an amazing invasion of the human race and he's living out the God style. He's living a completely different kind of a life. He's coming with mercy from heaven. That's why he came. He didn't come to smash Philistines. He didn't come to smash Romans. He came actually and they said, this centurion helped us and his, his servant is sick. He's a Roman. Jesus said, okay, I'll go with him. You're going with a Roman? Yeah. And, and he said, look, don't come to my house. I, I'm not worthy for you to have... Just say the word. And Jesus, I've never seen faith like this. You're applauding a Roman. You're commending a Roman. Centurion. Jesus, he breaks all the rules. And at the cross, he, he won't even speak. He won't answer. He's, he's doing something different. He won't, and his disciples draw a sword. In the Garden of Gethsemane, they draw a sword. Don't. He said, no, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And even heals a guy that Peter struck out at. No sword, no angels. He said, I could call on thousands of angels. He's not doing it. He's turning the other cheek. He's going the extra mile. He's praying for his enemies. He's modeling it for his disciples. For his disciples. And so we're looking at a, a radical new Messiah. Completely different. And Jesus invites them to please a new father. To please a new father. Jesus said in this passage I read to you, that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. And again, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than the Gentiles who do the same? He's speaking to people who've got a new father. You see, some people think, well, don't, don't Christians say, no, that God's the father of everybody? You know, if you think God is your father. No, it doesn't. that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that. He has to become your father. Jesus said to the leading Jewish guys, the religious leaders, you are of your father, the devil. I thought, no, no, no. You are of your father, the devil. He said that to leading religious guys who came to him. You're not of God. God is not your father. The devil's your father. So this sort of general thing, God is our father, here's some nice laws to, no, no, no. No, 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 we can't do that because we're fallen people. We're marred. Every one of us has turned to our own way. We want our rights. That's what's in the human condition. Follow my heart. You're not going to tell me that's the, that's the human condition. And it's in our generation, as the influence of Christianity is, 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 is just kind of fading, more and more this is the way. I'll do what I say. 
That's the human condition coming through more and more in our culture. And sadly, our children at school are more and more vulnerable to it than any of us. And there's no answer to it, because, well, there is no objective truth. It's whatever you think. Follow your own heart. Disney shows us that. You follow your own heart. Be yourself. There's nothing there. There's no objectivity. But what does the Bible say? No, the Bible says this. That's, we, Jesus is saying, your father, he's saying to those who follow him. And he says to the religious leaders, you're of your father the devil. The religious guys. He's not saying that to the Roman soldiers who have beaten him. He's saying it's the religious leaders. And then one came to see him at night. One of these Pharisees, one of these religious leaders, a guy called Nicodemus. And he's acknowledging somewhat. They've seen in Jesus something profound and amazing, but he's still a Pharisee. And he begins, he comes at night, like nobody's watching. He wants to step out. You don't want to do this publicly, you'll be in trouble. If other people see you do this, inquiring about, what, about Jesus, some of us might even be a bit nervous to go to church. You go to church? Well, I'd like to find out. Huh? That's the reaction. And so he did it at night when no one could see it. And he begins to ask Jesus, how do you get into the kingdom of God? And Jesus says to him, unless you're born again, you won't even see the kingdom of God. Huh? That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. You need to have a spiritual birth. He says this, you need to be born from above. You need to be born of the Spirit. You need a new father. And so his disciples are understanding, and we're to understand, that when you become a Christian, you have a new father. You really do have God as your father. You, you are born a second time. You're born again. I know for myself, I was born in a home in Hove, Brighton, um, 16 years later, I was born a second time, downstairs. Born upstairs, born again downstairs. Born upstairs, my little mum. It was snowing. My dad went off on his bicycle to get the midwife. Came back, heard me screaming. Born. Then, 16 years later, my sister, who's become a Christian, comes home and says, I've become a Christian. I said, back in the 50s, I said... We're all Christians, aren't we? She said, no, I've been born again. I said, what are you talking about? She said, I've met Jesus. I thought, what do you mean you've met Jesus? Because I think we're all Christians in those days. Now, half of us say we know we're not. But I thought we were all Christians. So she said, I've been born again. How did you get born again? She said, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? And I said... Supposed to be born on the third day, isn't he? Raised on the third day. I said casually. And she said, that means he's alive. And I suddenly knew, hey, Jesus is alive. When I say I suddenly knew, it's a kind of a spiritual thing. And I knelt in my home and I, I asked Christ to come into my life. You see, it says in the Bible, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. But to those who did receive him, 
he gave them the right to become children of God. Born of God. They received him. There's, a, there's an experience of receiving him. Have you done that yet? I do want to appeal to you if you're here this morning, and it's so lovely to have folk look, look again. Maybe you came at Christmas, you're looking in. You want, what is Christianity about? This is what it's about. This is fundamental. You must be born again. You need another birth. And I remember kneeling down, and I'm a very pagan young guy. And I suddenly felt, I suddenly felt, I need forgiveness. And it was explained to me, when Jesus died on the cross, he died to take our guilt away. That sin has to be punished. Because God's a righteous judge. God's the creator of all things. He's the judge of the whole earth. And you will be judged. But God loves so much that he gave his son that whoever believes in him, their sins will be forgiven. It's like he took away the sin. That's why Jesus died on the cross. He didn't just die like, you know, don't react, don't respond. He wasn't just being passive. He did it deliberately. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom. I will pay the ransom. I will pay the price. I will pay for you. I take away your guilt. Come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll take the load. I'll pay the debt. I'll pay it all. You go free. I understood. I suddenly saw, that's what Christianity is about. Yeah, I've never heard that before. You can know all your sins are forgiven. You can know you're going to heaven. Wow. I said to her, why hasn't anybody ever told me this before? And I knelt. And I asked Christ to come into my life. And I felt it happen. I thought, ah. Hey, this is real. And I've known it ever since. He comes into us. And we, we become new creatures. And, and we're born again. And there's a sense in which when you're born again, it's like the old, the old dies. It says that you've got to be born of, of, the, of water and the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, probably it's talking about baptism. Probably. You're born of water and the Spirit. What does that mean? It means you have a, an experience of God and then you get baptized. What does that mean? Well, it's like saying, okay, my old life's over. And we bury it in water. That's what happens in the Bible. That's what happens here often. We take people and we say, that life was taking you to hell. I don't want that life anymore. I lay down that life. But I don't stay under, hallelujah. Because see, I'm born again. I start a new life. Altogether new life. All the guilt has gone. All the shame has gone. All the dreadful stuff I used to do, it's forgotten. It's forgiven. It's all over. I've been freely forgiven. Now that makes things altogether different. That makes things altogether good. That gives me totally new motivation. I can't go into a world that's demanding its own rights and say, turn the other cheek. Poor, I forget it. But when I understand that Jesus came down from heaven, laid aside glory, took on human form, and gently and kindly and lovingly healed the sick, did amazing miracles, wonderful teaching, and then went to a cross without arguing, without saying, do you know who you're speaking to? 
Do you realize, realize who I am? No, no, just without answering. He took, he just took it. <laughs> he took away my guilt. So I go free. Now I've got new motivation. I want to live for him. I want to please my new father. I've got a new father. Have you got a new father yet? So if, you haven't, if you haven't been born again, you haven't. You haven't. It's no good saying, oh, God's my father. No, he isn't. He isn't. You need to be born again. You need to be born of water. You need to lay down that old life and say, that was useless. I was making a terrible mess of my life. I was. Even as a young teenager, I was already messing up. I think, where would I have left? I often think, God, where would I have gone if I hadn't heard the gospel? I'm so grateful to God that my sister came home and told me about it. I could have missed it. It changes my motivation completely. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you take up your cross and follow me. You live, you know, that old life's gone. When you say take up your cross, it's not, oh, I get backache, it's the cross I carry. No, if you see someone carrying a cross through Jerusalem, they'll be dead by tonight. That's what carry your cross means. It means you, you finish with that old life. It's not all oh, this pain, I carry my cross. No, it's not that, nothing to do with that. I finished with that life, we buried it. And now we're raised up to newness of life. Paul says, I glory in the cross of Christ by which I was crucified to the world and the world was crucified to me. It's, it's I glory in the cross. Not as an old rugged cross. I glory in the cross by which I was crucified to the world. The world was crucified to me. I have died, Paul says. He said, I was crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. But the song we sang, it's Christ who lives in me. We have this new life. This promise of the Old Testament, a new covenant. The old covenant couldn't do it. The rules couldn't do it. The law couldn't do it. God says, I'm give them a new covenant. What? I'll put my spirit within them. Well, that's a different deal. That's not just a rule book. Here's the rules to keep. That's not Christianity. It's often masquerading as Christianity out there on your television and radios. It's not Bible Christianity. Bible Christianity is about an amazing new thing that happens. You get born a second time. A new birth, without which you will not see God. Without which you're lost. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You could receive him this morning. I'd never heard it before the night I was saved. I've never heard this before. I'd even been to some churches when I was a kid. I've never heard this before. This is what the Bible says. You can know your sins are forgiven. Would you like to know that this morning? You can have Jesus with you, in you. His spirit in you. The new birth. And so we live a new kind of life with a new father that we have a desire to be like our father. That's what I'm saying. Your father is so generous. He, he makes the rain shine. The, the rain fall. I'm confused with the weather we're getting. <laughs> he makes the rain fall even on the ungodly. He lets the sun shine. He's indiscriminate in his kindness. That's what he wants you to be like. You want to be like your father. That's what the passage said. Be like your father. Indiscriminate in kindness. 
He has no favorites. His generous heart. That, that, see, beloved, that's not what the world's like now. They demand their rights. They want their own back. They want their pound of flesh. The believers to be absolutely different, like the Father. And so I, I listened. I wasn't here last week, but I listened to Jim's terrific talk from last week, talking about all the things that people are doing here. Extreme kindness that's being shown in all sorts of contexts. And so, that's, that's what it is. It's like, what are these people doing? Why do they give people cars? Why do they do it without charging? Why do they give away all this food? What, what is with these people? That's what Jim talks about, actual facts coming from this place. Because we've been born again. It's not that we found a nice club. It's something so much more powerful. Born of God. Born again. So we join my final point. We continue in a new kingdom. We're not fighting for our rights. We're understanding this. The meek shall inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. See, inheritance comes later. When Jesus died, he died in weakness. He hung on a cross. He, he, he's defeated. They're all mocking. If you're the Son of God, come down. If you're the Messiah, he's forsaken you. He's hanging naked on a cross. People are spitting at him, hurling abuse at him, mocking him. Come on then, if you're some great one. He died in weakness. But the Bible says this, he rose again. He rose again. That's the wonder of Christianity. We have an answer to death. And when he was raised from the dead, this old psalm gets quoted over him. You're my son, today I've begotten you. Ask me, I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. The ends of the earth is your possession. He now is the anointed Messiah, designated Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. It's the resurrection from the dead that establishes him ultimately as God's Messiah and King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's enthroned now. He's, it doesn't end at the cross. It's not just a cross. That's a tragedy of kind of the Roman Catholic thing. You go to Rome, you walk around, you see all these crosses. It's just all about a dead guy. That's not the whole message. He's not just a dead guy, he's a live guy. He's alive, that's why he could come into my life, that's why he could change me from the inside. Because he's alive. And on the day of Pentecost, when Peter, who watched Jesus die, and when he died, he said, no, I'm not with him, I don't know him. He's utter misery for Jesus. And Peter, even his henchman, his leading disciple, didn't even stand with him. On the day of Pentecost, when the spirits come on him, and he understands, no, he's alive again. That's what he said. I come to lay down my life. He said it repeatedly. They never quite understood it. I come to lay down my life. And then when they're just dead and when what on earth happened, they're following this wonderful guy and he's dead. He made such claims and he's dead. Did such miracles and he's dead. Now he's alive. And Peter stands on the day of Pentecost. said, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised up. And now seated on David's throne. Oh, he's on David's throne. Yes, he is now. And of the increase of his government, there'll be no end. No end. We have a dear friend in India called Vinu. 
He sent a little video to me yesterday. He talked about the 300 churches they planted across India. But it's not legal now. In several states in India, it's illegal to change your religion. You pay a fine or you go to prison. One of our other pastors there, Nigel, Nigel and Desiree, I've known for decades. They recently, their landlord came to them and said, get out. Get out, yeah, get out. You're Christians, get out. They had to leave their apartment. Why? Because you're followers of Jesus. Get out. So they had to get out. Because you do. You don't say, how dare you? No, you get out. You get out. But we've lived here. Yeah, get out. They get out. Why? Because Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Go the other mile. Meanwhile, we're planting church after church after church and church. He talked about the dozens of young leaders they're raising up. They're planting churches. They're telling people about Jesus. They're working into the leprosy area among the poor. Because the kingdom of God is so different. Yeah, you turn the other cheek. You go the extra mile. But Jesus is king. He is enthroned. And he will stand with them. And he, and he will come to people and say, would you like to be born again? Like I'm saying to you this morning, would you like to be born again? Then you come into this family where these values mean a lot to you. We say, no, I've got to learn to do this. And so there's an ongoing outworking of who we are. We're new people now. It's interesting, it says on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people became Christians when Peter preached. 3,000. Then it says this, they didn't regard any of the things that they owned as their own. They even sold possessions to give away. What? What are you doing? In the Old Testament, you must give a tithe. There's the law. In the New Covenant, they sold their possessions. A guy called Barnabas, he had land, he sold it, gave all the money away. What is going on here? Oh, it's new people with a new spirit. If somebody asks, you give. Even if they don't ask, you give. What is this? It's a new people, beloved. It's a new people with new motivations, a new freedom from this world, because we know this world's passing away, and we know our treasure's in heaven. We know we're going to live forever. When you know you're going to live forever, it changes a few values. It makes things count differently, because you know I'm going to heaven. I'm going to live forever. I've, my sins are forgiven. It changes your values. It changes the way you think. So yeah, they were changed. Now, of course, they sometimes needed adjustments, and that's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. Because you've, you know, you've come out from an old life. I come out of my old life. And I, and I was amazed. I stopped swearing overnight. I thought, wow, I can't believe it. Other stuff, I had to kind of fight my way through. It took a little while. And Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and he says to them, some of you saying, I'm of Paul, I am of Paulus. Don't be daft. What are you doing? So that in the church of newborn people, there's still this kind of, I'm of Paul, no, I'm of Peter. What's going on here? He says this, you're acting like mere men. What do you mean mere men? Well, you're not mere men anymore. You're born of God. What are you doing? And so the, the epistles in the Bible, they're writing to Christians saying, come on, you're new people. 
You're new people. Go the extra mile. Forgive. You've been forgiven so much. That's what it says. Forgive others because you have been forgiven. Be kind to one another, forgiving, because Christ forgave you. The fact that we have been born of God, forgiven, transformed. Hey, we want to do these things. Sometimes we, we haven't got time to get into it. We get into our flesh. We get into the, the old way of thinking creeps up on us. If he wrote that on Facebook, I'm going to write back. No, wait a minute, what am I doing? I'm a new Christian. I'm a Christian. I don't do that. And we have to kind of pause and we have to think, hey, wait a minute. I don't live by my rights anymore. I live a new way. And sometimes we need to just catch ourselves, be transformed by the renewal of our mind, line ourselves up. The Sermon on the Mount is for the followers of Jesus. It's not for the world. The world can benefit because we can be forgiving towards them. But the world won't receive it. The world thinks it's foolishness. What do you mean turn the other cheek? But for us, we've got one who died on a cross, and he's our Lord. And he's inside wanting to reproduce his lifestyle in me. So that's right into our homes, right into our, the way we treat our family, the way husband and wife, forgiving one another. Hey, come on. It's tragedy when you hear Christian marriage broke. How did that happen? How did that happen? When the Bible says you forgive, you lay down your life. You've got, to, you've got to live a completely different life. This, this, this radical sermon is for us. Because Christ forgave us. Gave us a new start. Can we pray, please? Let's pray, and maybe the band would like to come up. Just let me ask you this as we close. If you're our guest here this morning, you are so welcome. You're so welcome. But if, if you've never heard some of the things I said, you didn't understand. You could have another birth. It's like a, I become a new person. Is that possible? Yes, it's possible. As many as received him, you can receive him. He's alive. A verse that was told me, and it was kind of misquoted a bit, but it's exactly what the Bible says. It says, Jesus is standing at the door, knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. And I just knelt down. I asked you, Jesus, will you come into me, please? And he did. You could do that now. Just pray a prayer, something like this. Dear God, I come to you. I never understood this before. Please forgive me for my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place, taking away my guilt. Now you're alive. I believe you are alive. I believe you led me to be here today. Please come into my life. Just ask him, please come into my life. Please forgive me my sins. 
you know that? If you do that here and now, you can become a believer. Then you, you just need to speak to some of the leaders here and say, hey, hey, help me, honey. what do I do next? Can we talk to you about being baptized so that you say, yeah, that old life, I leave it behind. I want to live this new life. I want to get into this family. I want to understand what Steve said about, hey, finding a small group, getting to know what the family life is like. And if you are a believer, hey, are you, are you living by the culture? The culture is so imposing. Online, on television, all kinds of ways. It wants to impose itself and it wants to mess you up. And Jesus comes right to us and says, learn of me. I'm meek and lowly of heart. I want you to live my style. I want you to be like your father. He's so generous. He's so kind. I want you to be like him. Maybe you need to ask God, help me, Lord. Please forgive me. I've drifted. Maybe you've drifted. To live this life, you need to stay very close to Jesus. Let him live his life out through you. Father, I just thank you for your word. I pray you'll bless it to our hearts. I pray for fruit, Lord, you promise. You promise fruit. I ask for fruit for this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from the King's Church, Mid-Sussex. To connect with us online, visit tkc.org.uk. We hope you'll join us again soon.